Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture comes from the book of Philemon, and you can follow along on page six of your bulletins. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have delivered much joy and comfort, derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be to, um, might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have, have, have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider, consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in, Jesus, in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. prepare to open up God's word together, uh, let us pause and pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you uh, for the opportunity uh, to look down upon the pages of scripture. We recognize that through it, we learn that you're the master, you're the ruler of the universe. By your hand, you keep us steady. By your hand, you guide us on. So we ask in this time that you would do the same, that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wonderful, glorious things in this book of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we are turning our attention to the short letter of Philemon, one of Paul's epistles. 
And as I come to this book, I, I just think about the idea of being in bondage. And it reminds me of my childhood whenever my cousins and I used to wrestle. We used to get down on the ground and see who's the strongest. And then, I don't know if you are WWF fans or not, but there's this move called the figure four. And so you kind of put your arms around their shoulder blade and then you lock your fingers around their neck. It's like, that was, the, that was like the finishing move, you know? And so once my cousins did that to me, I was like a rag doll, you know, being tossed around. I couldn't get out of it. I'm like, let me down. It was so painful. And then, you know, I had some younger cousins. I, I thought, well, this is my opportunity. Let me try this on them. And so um, it was a lot of fun. I felt powerful. <laughs> I, I felt invincible. I felt like I had a move that would crush everybody. But anyway, um, and so that move really reminds you of like being in bondage, how when you are indeed in bondage by something, you can't really get out at your leisure. Uh, it takes a hard time to maneuver and, and try to be, have a release from that, to break free from a move like that. And we know that within life itself, right, we go through times where we are locked up, uh, whether it's something of a medical condition or, or some type of disease or, or maybe it's a relationship. Sometimes we get locked up in things and, and with people in, in a certain way that it's hard for us to free ourselves. You know, it, it does remind me of a time when I was dating someone. I felt like I owed them my life because they were so kind, but I really didn't want to be with them. So I felt locked up in that relationship. It was like, okay, how long can I endure this without telling her that I don't want to be in this relationship? I felt in bondage. I wanted to be free, and it was hard for, for me to admit and to come and say, I don't want to be with you any longer. You know, the Bible does teach us that when we have sin in our lives, that sin is like that, isn't it? Sin does not want to let us go, and sometimes we don't want to let it go. And this all started from the beginning. The first man, whose name is Adam, Adam meaning man, he did this. He stood there, and he disobeyed God, and that's when original sin entered the world. It entered the world and it locked us up as a people into sin and corruption and brokenness. And we still feel it down to this day. When you ask anybody, do you think you're perfect? They, most people will immediately say, no, I'm not perfect. Because there is something of the divine that's in us that is able to recognize that which is good and also to recognize the things that are indeed corrupt and, and broken. And one of these things in our, in our history as a human race, one of these things that locks us up the most is slavery itself. We are slaves to sin. And this is what the Bible teaches us over and over again. The things that we want to do, we cannot do. We do the things that we don't want to do. We, are, uh, we do what's contrary to the laws of God, the nature of God. We do what's contrary to his will because of sin that's in our lives, because of our being enslaved by sin in our lives. We cannot break free. The Bible also teaches us from Psalms and, and Romans that 
No one, no, no one seeks God. Uh, we all have fallen short of his glory. We all are people who are in need uh, of his grand forgiveness. And so in order to be free from this bondage of decay, to be free from the, the slavery that we give ourselves over to, we, we need someone to atone for us. And that someone is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who broke the back of sin and death, and he is the one that has called people to come to him, to be free of slavery, to sin. Because sin separates us from God and it makes us enslaved to it, but it also separates us from one another. And we are enslaved to the things that are created rather than the creator. And so God, you know, he doesn't hide the fact that people have been enslaved since the beginning, since the dawn of time, since the fall of Adam. Nations have been rising up against nation, and they've been taking people, uh, and they've, they've taken over their bodies, they've taken over their lands, they've taken over their possessions, they've taken over other people. So God doesn't hide from this fact And even if you read throughout scripture, you wonder, is God condoning slavery, the trafficking of human beings? Well, the Bible does teach as well that there are several ways that people can come into slavery. One is by, indeed, capture. Scholars and historians have noted that captives of other nations, especially prisoners of war, become commodity and reduced to slavery. And this custom goes back as far as any written information can give us. And there's also uh, slavery that comes by purchase. Slaves could be bought from owners and general merchants. And we see this in in the scripture about God-given opportunity even for his people to purchase other people even for his people to purchase one another. And then we see this, people are born into the house of slaves. Abraham definitely had slaves. Genesis 17, God gave him instruction about this. It's like, when you go and give the covenant sign and seal of circumcision to your people, Do it also to every male in your household, including your slaves. We see it uh, as a restitution for someone who has been caught in theft or they owe someone something. It's also done when someone defaults on their debts. The debtors, you know, they want to collect. And even some people are forced to sell their children to pay their debts. We see this in 2 Kings. Uh, would Elijah encounter a woman there who feared that she would have to sell her children uh, to pay for her debt? We see it as well when there's an abduction, someone is stolen or kidnapped and given into slavery. One may think of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. It was something that was punishable by death to take another person and to sell them into slavery. God spoke about it from his word as well. 
And then there are times when people sell themselves into slavery. It's like this voluntarily giving themselves over to escape things like poverty or dependence on another cruel master. So it's recognized throughout Scripture. But God has given this word as well to the people of Israel long ago. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. And so in Israel, that was an expiration date on slavery, the year of Jubilee. Working for six years and then person pays their debt or be released back to have ownership of their land. And so the picture that we get biblically is that a slave is somebody who still had rights and privileges, though. They still were people. They still had opportunity to own things. Children and, and, and even slaves had slaves as well in the ancient world. And so we, we see this case even in the Greco-Roman world. Slaves were granted these many rights. They were able to worship as they will, marry, make money. They were artisans, uh, architects, doctors, philosophers, teachers, writers, and race was not an issue. It was possible for slaves to gain their freedom for a price. In other words, one writer notes, slavery in Paul's day looked different from its modern form. Certainly some owners were cruel to their slaves and treated them poorly, though not all. But one key principle holds true is that in the Greco-Roman world and even in our modern history, slaves were owned. And this is such a fascinating account, too, to think about slaves having rights and privileges in the ancient world. If you own somebody, you recognize them as a person. They weren't totally free, but still they had their personhood about them. And one historian and an author gives us a difference. He does this comparative analysis between ancient enslavement and colonial black enslavement, as he calls it. Ancient enslavement, as we noted, slaves have basic rights that were honored, but colonial black enslavement, slaves had no rights. In ancient enslavement, the, the church accepted slaves as human, and they intervened on their behalf. In black enslavement, most religions supported black slavery and intervene on behalf of slaveholders, offering biblical justification as we've been learning. Ancient enslavement, slavery was viewed as a temporary condition. Black and colonial enslavement, black slavery was permanent and inherited. Ancient enslavement, governments did not use their power to exploit in any racial group for private wealth or power. Black colonial enslavement, European nations and colonial powers 
either powers all over the world, conspired to manipulate and enslave blacks in order to develop their new world and even to colonize Africa. Ancient enslavement, slaveholders allowed slaves to retain their racial identity and dignity. Colonial black enslavement, blacks were psychosocially conditioned to despise themselves. Uh, they, were, they, they had racial disunity and, and it was rewarded. Ancient enslavement, slavery with personal wealth and limited benefits directly to the individual slaveholder. Colonial black enslavement, slavery provided wealth for nations and institutions, empower an industrial revolution, and brought capitalism uh, to Europe and other places in the world. And I don't have to continue here with the comparison analysis because a lot of people have learned about the horrors of slavery and uh, the colonial times and up into this day and how horrific it was. But see, the thing that I note is that no matter who was enslaved or who, the, who were the slavers, the slaveholders, enslaving people, we all were enslaved. Because when one oppresses another, you're enslaved in your own heart. And that's something that has a consequence just as the enslaved have, have consequences of losing homes and family and identity as a nation, et cetera, et cetera. One's heart begins to change whenever one steals another human being. And you see, this takes us right into the depth of why Jesus Christ had to come, of why Jesus had to die for us all those who were enslaving and those who were slaves. You see, and even like this sheds light upon the word of God itself. Because as we know, there were those within the slavery of this country, of this land, where the Bible was taught, but some things were held back. But even through that, the word of God still spoke to people's hearts and they were saved. And some people may think, well, you know, it was such horrific. How could they take on the God of their masters? But perhaps, one, it wasn't the God of their masters. For two, the model that they were given, weren't mat the model wasn't matching up in light of human dignity itself of being made into the image of God. And so you, we see on one hand, something so horrific, even down to this day, we still feel the consequences of it. But on the other hand, we see God's redemptive, reconciling plans coming to fruition. Now, this does not suggest that, that God is an arbiter of evil, that he wants evil for good. No, he's not. God has made it plain. No one comes to him. No one can be right in their own eyes. And as Paul said, even when someone preaches the gospel with the worst motives, but if it's preached, even some semblance of it, God can use that word and transform a people who are being beat down by the same Bible. And, and, this, and, it, and they're, they're able to believe in the God of the Bible. 
believe in the Savior of the world. Now, I don't know what your situation is today. Someone may feel beat down as if they are enslaved by something. But you see, God can pierce through any situation in our lives to come and grab us. No matter how fragmented we have been as a ragtag human race, God still can break in with his light and set us free. Because he's the God of those who are doing the enslaving and those who are enslaved. And this is the picture that we receive from the book of Philemon. In this beautiful, short letter that Apostle Paul writes to Philemon, we learn a couple of things. A couple of things are, 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 are demonstrated before us. But the main thing that we see here being demonstrated is that Jesus himself is the end of all slavery everywhere, without doubt. And we know even to this day, the work is not done. Slavery still runs rampant in our world, which is becoming smaller and smaller every day. But Jesus is the end of all slavery. We see here in the first verse that Paul indeed is a prisoner. That's like a slave, right? He's a prisoner for Christ, but yet he is free. Jesus has already declared from John 8, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He says to his disciples, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Paul is in bondage, but yet he's like a free man. He recognizes that. It's only one who's a true master of all, the ruler of all. Paul, Paul is writing to Philemon and the church in his house, and they are members of the body of Christ fellow brothers and sisters, and they recognize that it is through the atoning work of Jesus that there's a change that has happened. There's a change that's been demonstrated, that Jesus is the great reconciler of soul, that Jesus is bringing nations together, that, that Jesus is breaking down walls of hostility, one person to another, even in the same household, that Jesus is the great emancipator transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Ephesians that Jesus is our peace. He made us both one. He's broken down in his flesh, dividing walls. He abolished the laws that were against us. He created a new man out of all the peoples on the earth reconciling them both to God and to one another. He preached this flourishing to those who are far off and to those who are near so that we can have access to the Father by one spirit. That's who we are. And so here in, in, in this letter to Philemon, there's a demonstration of this mutual love that we share amongst the body of believers all over the world and maybe in other worlds. 
There, there's a, a demonstration of compelling love as well that moves us towards one another to do what God designed and desires us to do. There's also a demonstration of permanent love, the love that would not let you go. And so we see here this demonstration of God's mutual love that he embodies in his people. There in verse 4, Paul is reflecting upon this one element, prayer. He said, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. He is praying for the people of God that he has touched, and he's praying for them everywhere. And there's a generosity here, another element of this mutual love, because he, he's heard of Philemon's love, this love that's in action, and this faith that, it, that is in action that he has towards Jesus and for all the saints, all the saints around him. He has this huge heart of generosity towards, that he is ready to fulfill their needs, to get them what they need, uh, to love them where they are, to love them as who they are. He's exercising this love and faith. There's an element of participation here. And he's, he's saying, I, that I pray that the sharing of your faith may be, become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. In this participation of faith, there's a service. They're ready for action. Paul is saying, you're ready for action here. You're ready to, to uncover what God intends for the body of believers. You're ready to uncover the good thing that is, in, that is for our sakes in Christ. And there's encouragement as well. Paul says, I have derived much joy, this deep delight and comfort from your love, my brother. This affection, even the word Philemon means affectionate one. And he says he's received these things from Philemon because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This word refreshment means to indeed rest, to be revived. So Paul is saying, I can let down a little bit. I don't have to be too concerned about the church there in your house because you are doing good gospel work. You are loving the saints as they are, who they are. You are moving out to share this love of Christ, the gospel. That's why he said he's a fellow worker along with the others because of this mutual love that's had one to another. And I experienced this mutual love um, through hearing about this story of this young lady named Grace. I call her Grace. So she came to Crystal and myself, and she told us the horrific slavery that she was involved in. She was simply being pimped out. And at that point, she was hooked on drugs, and she was afraid of her captor. And we talked to her in the car that day, and we said, hey, look, we, we want to help you. We want to help you come out of this. And she said, you don't know him. He will find me. She was desperately afraid. And we said, do you want to get out? And we could see it in her eyes, this ambivalence of what about my life? 
And do I really want to get out? And who's going to take care of me? And I know I'm in bondage to this person. So years later, after living like this, she became pregnant. And she had a beautiful son. And we found out about it, you know, the story, you know, after we moved here. And we learned of the mutual love that the church had for her in that city. Because she returned to church because she remembered the love that she received in young life through the young life leaders. She remembered something of Christ and how he is able to help her with her needs. And so she ended up getting back on drugs, back into slavery to this product. And she, essentially, she left the baby on the doorstep of the church. And our friends were like, we don't know what to do with this baby. We're just going to pass this baby around to members of our church to take care of him. And that's what they did until they can intervene in her life again to bring her back out of slavery, the thing that was holding her captive. I'm sure we all may know of a story like that. That may be the story of our own lives. You may have been that person entrapped in that way by somebody else, bigger, stronger than you, who manipulated you into staying in a position of being enslaved. But God calls us, doesn't he, as a body to go to deep compassion of our hearts, to give all that we have for the benefit of another, especially those that we know are being enslaved. And this is why it's so important that we gather together from week to week in our life groups. We recognize we need one another to be spurred on, to be encouraged, to have this mutual love flowing from house to house. But sometimes we get to a place where we think, do I want to go again tonight? It's like, yes, go. I don't know. It may feel uncomfortable getting to know people all over again. But see, if they're a part of the family of believers, they have room for you in their heart, even if they don't know it. Because it is a time of coming under God's word, learning from him, being strengthened by the spirit in fellowship with one another, having your prayers heard by each other and rejoicing over the answering of your prayers of one another. Seeing God work through you as you uh, participate in service projects throughout our neighborhoods and our cities. So these life groups, the neighborhood groups and the moms groups, are just not for happenstance. They're just not for you to go and just, you know, I check that box. It's just not for you to think, well, you know, I can live without it, really. I can read my Bible on my own. But one thing that you cannot do alone, you cannot live in the body of Christ alone. So quite frankly, our life groups about us being Jesus to one another, coming around him, allowing him to lead us. So be refreshed, my brothers and sisters, by one another, knowing that their mutual love is true. And the next thing we see here, this demonstration of compelling love, this compelling love, And so there are some elements of it that we see in the scripture here. 
that there's a, a, a request here that Paul has of Philemon. He said in verse 8, accordingly, after he showed this mutual love to him, accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Paul is saying, I don't want to rule over you with an iron fist as if I'm lording things over you. Yet for, the, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Make this request. Show this favorable love. To show the privilege that you have. I, Paul, an old man, an ambassador of Christ, a prisoner myself, a slave, if you will, for Christ. Again, he says, I make this appeal to make this strong request for Philemon. Now it comes. I'm making this appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Don't we get a glimpse of the father heart of God, the way that he moves on our behalf, right? Making his appeal, his request to people in the world for his, his, his children. So Paul uses this language elsewhere, we see, in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, as anyone is in Christ, new creation, the old is gone, everything has become new. All this is from God who's reconciling us to himself. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting us to this message, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. God wants us to live in this type of compelling love by making our requests known to one another, appealing to each other, not demanding, not commanding, but because this is something good that Paul is doing for the heart of Philemon as well. He has this respect for Philemon, not only for Philemon, but for Onesimus and for himself. And he uses his wordplay here in verse 11. He said, formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed he's useful to you and to me. Why is that, Paul? Why are you sending your heart back? He says in verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf, Philemon, in my imprisonment for this sake, the sake in which we live to this day, for the sake of the gospel. Paul is saying what's required here, what I could command and demand is that he stay for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But because of their mutual love and fellowship, because I know you in a personal relationship, I'm going to compel you by appealing to you to grant this request by respecting you, sending him back to you, not withholding him. Because there are some things that need to be done right. There are some bridges that, that, that need to be mended here. So I'm sending him back in order to have your consent, not out of compulsion, but by your own accord. Paul wants Philemon to express the love that he has 
that the love that he's been showing to all the saints. And for the sake of time, I'll move on here. God, through this passage, show us this demonstration of permanent love. And there are three marks here I want to bring our attention to. And that's just simply relationship, redemption, and restoration. You see, there's a change in, in Onesimus' status. He's living up to the name now because of the change that Christ has brought in his life. Verse 15, for perhaps this is why he parted from you for a while, that, he might, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, no longer as a bondservant, the slave of the ancient times, no, no, no more as a slave, but as a beloved brother, as someone who is now in the family of believers. But how much more for you, how much more will you benefit, Philemon, both in the flesh and into the Lord as, as Onesimus works as he's working for Christ? He's a brother now. Death has ended. Slavery has ended. He's in the people of God. This is the redemption that he has in, in the flesh. Paul says, whatever he owes you, I will repay. And we see Paul here as if he's standing like Jesus stood in the gap for humanity to be the redeemer of the world. He said, I will repay what he owes you if he owes you anything. To say nothing, Philemon, of you owing me, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. Revive my heart. Let me rest upon this, that you will do what, you, what I'm requesting here. Because there's a, a verse in Revelation that tells us, and many of us probably know this verse, but it is the verse of our redemption, of our promise that we have in Christ and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, Jesus, and by your blood you ransomed, you redeemed, you called up people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is our great redemption that we have. And you, you notice in verse 21, Paul is looking forward to the restoration of relationships. Paul is, is hoping that he gets a chance to come to Philemon. He said, hey, keep the light on for me in that room. Make, make preparations for me. I want to come to you so that we both can rejoice together face to face with one another. That's what it's going to be like at the end. They're going to be full of restoration, but now we have it in part, don't we? When we are able to come and be reconciled one to another, as Paul is bringing this reconciliation between one brother and another, between the master and the slave, between Onesimus and now Philemon. He's bringing them back together. And you see this picture of God's mutual love is the love that we do have to share with one another. This is our privilege to care for each other in this way. This is the love that compels us to, to move forward 
and even to look at ways that we have offended each other, to look at ways that institutions has enslaved over the years, to look at the brokenness. We can do that because now we have a new lens. Whatever Onesimus did to offend Philemon, he can, he, can, he can make it right now because they belong in the same family. No longer do, does he have to run away and hide. Now he can come face to face because now he can make his compelling love, his appeal to him as a brother. And now there's enough that's been repaid for through the blood of Christ that they can be bound in uni- unity together as brother and brother so that there would be a flourishing of peace among the believers. So that would, there would be a permanent love because when Christ died on their cross, it was permanent. He said, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. I purchased them. I made them one. Now they can live into it. So brothers and sisters, let's live into this love. Let's be excited about one another. Let's be excited about looking into the face of each other. It's hard to do, but let's be excited about confronting each other when we have offended each other. Let's be excited about how we can bring restitution to one another as a body of believers. Let's pray. Father, we know that we cannot do this alone. We know that this is a tall order. We know that you give grace enough for us, Father, to look at the past and be honest about it so that we can see in the presence as a body of believers that we are one and that we can move and have our being in you and be free and free indeed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.